Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, what is going on? It's your man, James Robolata, back here for another episode of Diner Talks with James. My friends, I'm super excited to be with you all here. Thank you so much for coming through and hanging out with me. Uh, It's just so special to get to kick it in the diner. What are you having today, my friends? We're doing chocolate chip pancakes. You're feeling gluttonous, aren't you? I can see it in your eyes. You're feeling gluttonous. I'm here for it. I'll have a stack, too. Uh, I'm super excited to be kicking it with you. My friend, Brittany Piper, is coming out in just a minute and she's a boss uh, and I think I know I'm going to learn something today and I'm excited for you to learn with me or me to learn with you whichever one sounds better you let me know working on the brand always working on the brand uh, <laughs> let's bring her out uh, in just a second I got to tell you about her first though her name is Brittany Piper she's an international activist uh, a speaker a healing coach she has been doing work with the United States Army the Laura Bush Institute of Women's Health Cosmo Elite Daily she's been all over the place y'all she's presented in a whole bunch of different countries continents states places and a whole bunch of things virtually too now I'm right her own house. Um, She is a rape survivor and a leading national expert and advocate on sexual violence prevention and recovery. She's also a forensic neurobiology expert. I think I know what that means, but I'm not ready to commit, but I'm excited to talk to her about it for sure. Uh, She is also the founder and creator of the Functional Breakthrough Method, a one-on-one coaching and healing program that supports survivors of trauma. And trauma is what we are going to talk about today, my friends. Just in case you weren't excited yet, now I know that you are. No, it's going to be a really powerful conversation. So let's bring out my friend right now, Brittany Piper. How are we doing? There she is. There we are. Uh, There we are. How's it going? I'm great. Brittany Piper, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm in rainy Texas, but I can't complain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You've been bouncing around the country, friend. You were in you were in Indy for a while, then Rhode Island, now back and now you're in Texas. You're really you're you're doing it. You're checking out the sites. You know, I moved from the smallest state in the country to the biggest state. I don't I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> who counts Alaska is what I'm saying. Right. Um and <laughs> The uh, the thing, shout out to Alaska, though. I really would love to get booked up there if anybody in Alaska wants to book. Okay. But, um, (laughs) Brittany, I'm so excited to be hanging out with you today, friend. It's weird because normally we get to see each other a few times a year and then a huge virus came and now we don't. So this is where we're at. And I'm glad to see your face this way. Yeah, I know. I I miss the energy. I miss the in-person James, but this will just have to do for now. This'll do. This'll do. Brittany, this show is called Diner Talks with James. Um, and a way that I like to start it off is I'm always intrigued if people have a late night move. Now, you are someone who is uh, a health conscious individual um, and you choose what goes into your body carefully. Uh, so if you need to answer this as like college life, Brittany, that's also totally fine. Um, but I've also had someone recently brag to me that they put peanut butter on apples when they're feeling crazy at night. So, I mean, really, the sky's the limit here, Britt. Do you have a late night gluttonous move if you're able to go out to eat? If I'm able to go out to eat, you know, I like a good dairy. I mean, you're probably not expecting this. I like a DQ blizzard, man. Yes. I love a good old fashioned DQ blizzard through the drive through Oreo mixed with uh, cookie dough. Oh, okay. Because when in doubt, more cookies. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you know, it's funny because I went through this phase where I was like, oh, I'm I'm Brittany Piper and I'm I'm known for eating healthy, healthy food, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what people don't understand is that I, for the most part, I'm I'm like one of those 80, 20, 70, 30 gals. Like I'll eat an entire, entire pizza by myself. And then as long as I have like five pieces of spinach, I'm like, that's balanced. That's good. We did it today. Yeah. Yeah. We out here. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just finding the little ways to grab those wins each day. I like it. I like it. DQ blizzards. I think it's funny that they still hold it upside down every single time. And, oh and my this, god it's very interesting They're like look it doesn't fall out and i'm like oh yep still that's why great. have i never noticed that that's yeah, true yeah, yeah. 
That's funny. Whenever I go to a, D, uh, a DQ um, or really any sort of late night ice cream move, I'm peanut butter and chocolate through and through. That's usually Ooh. that's usually my move. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. That, that's where I, that's where I tend to live. Uh, so. <clears throat> but, what is your late night food, though? I mean, if you had your choice. If I had my choice, I am. Uh, it depends what part of the country I'm in, right? This is the mm. privilege of being speakers, right? If yes. I'm in, if I'm in the southeast, I'm going to Waffle House. I'm getting an all star special. Mm. Uh, if I'm in the northeast, uh, I'm usually getting a, a stack of pancakes or uh, a grilled cheese with French fries. Uh, oh, and yeah. so, you know, oh, something yeah. like that. If I'm out west, In and Out's really the only option, or a taco truck. So there we go. I love that I just gave you dessert and not realizing that. Probably we should talk about what you eat for your actual meal. I'm like, I'm just thinking about sweets, man. Well, it's not an actual <laughs> meal because it's at 2 a.m. So, you know, I mean, yes. I don't know if yeah, that yeah. doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, Brittany, I'm super excited to be connecting with you today. You do uh, a lot of really incredible work. A fun fact about you and I is that we are both new parents, mm. um, and uh, I am I am the newer of the two, only four and a half months in. And your uh, your son is how old right now? Eleven months tomorrow. Eleven months, amazing. Woo, Woo. crazy! Uh, yes. I'm excited to get to eleven months. Uh, <laughs> do you feel like it's flying by? No. No. Okay. I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. I've been told, like, I've been told, everybody's like, just savor every moment because it flies right by. <laughs> and like, I'm sure, I'm sure in the blip of my life, when I look back at this moment, when I'm 70, will mm -hmm. these four or five months really, will I remember them? I don't know. I hope yeah. not. Um, but uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, yeah, but they're not. Did yours? I, you know, it's interesting. I feel like at the beginning, like, Probably up until we hit the six month mark, we mm -hmm. just felt like the days were dragging on. And I think it's different, right? Because we're, we're in a pandemic, like we're all mm -hmm. living on top of each other. We're stuck inside with this child. And it's like, oh my gosh, will you, can I get some sleep? Will you stop crying? But I love you at the same time. And don't, don't, don't move away from home and don't get married and don't leave me. And so it's intense. But then after about six months, when you finally get into a routine, mm -hmm. the days just kind of start to blend together. And you're like, wait, how are we at a year already? Yeah. You, you just you just came out into the world what happened so <laughs> it's weird yeah. it's weird man but it's so it's so fun so exciting yeah absolutely i fully look I, I expect to look back on this and have it be like i was so fast but right now in the middle of it it, it is not yeah. um and not to say that it is like painfully horrifically slow right let me not tell you i'm not i'm not here enjoying this um but uh yeah it's just it's just trotting along yeah so. <laughs> One thing that I love about you, Brittany, is that online you are not shy uh, from you're not shy about your uh, parenting choices, your thoughts on parenting, your pride in being a mother. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's really awesome to see the way that you show up. And it's very evident in the way that your online community has grown so quickly that you are speaking to individuals who feel the same way. And you've really built this beautiful community. I'd be curious to hear just, you know, we're, we'll talk about more parenting specifics in a, thec in, in a second, but as you look to build community online, how would you describe the individuals who follow you? Like, is there, is there a through line between them? Is there an avatar quote unquote? The through line, you know, I think um, as speakers in many ways, we have to put on like the business owner hat right? Mm -hmm. Because we're running our own business. We're running, and I hate using the word, but I say it a lot. We are running our own brand. And so part of that comes with looking at who your audience is. And so I've of course looked at my insights and <laughs> analytics and demographics through Instagram. And um, I think just a little over, it's between 90 to 95% that follow me are, are females um, mm -hmm. between the ages of like 25 and 35. And so I think a lot of these young women found me, um, through the programs that I was doing on sexual assault in college campuses. I think mm -hmm. that's how um, a lot of them came to my little corner of the Instagram world. Um, and then they just kind of stayed because I'm very open and honest about trauma and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just the more messy parts of life. I'm very open and transparent, and honest about my relationship, about mothering, about um, the obstacles and the challenges that I face because when I go to a college campus, I talk a lot about what I've overcome and I don't want people to put me on a pedestal. I don't want, I don't want people to think that I'm like 
Mother Teresa because I'm not. I'm just like your average everyday person who still F's up every single day. And I'm a hot mess most of the time. And so it's just important that people know that, um, you know, there's there's a messy side to all of us. And I, I think that's what makes us so unique and beautiful. Um, so maybe that's why people stay. You know, we're in this time where everyone is filters and perfection and look at my life and the highlight reel. And I, I try and show a different side. Yeah. 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 And, and you do, uh, you do. I mean, don't get me wrong. You're still crushing some of these filters, uh, but you know, we got to look, you got to look cute out here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, we, we still got to look cute, look, look fresh, feel fresh. We got to um, show up. Yeah. But, uh, but what you share um, is unfiltered. Um, yes. and that's the, that's the more important part anyway. Right. Uh, and so, uh, when did you make the decision that you were going to live out loud the way that you do, right? Cause it's a choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's plenty of people that uh, may look at, at us as parents that post about our children and the choice that we make and the vulnerability and being like, just keep it in the home. Uh, right. And, but, <laughs> but, there's, there's, uh, but at the same time, there's a lot of people that are grateful for the folks that are making them feel less alone. When did you make the decision? Did you have to talk about that with your partner and was he down from the beginning or did he know what he was getting himself into from the jump? Um, yeah. like, yeah. How did that, you know, how did that go about? I think, um, so I'll share a little snippet, like a moment in my, my history book. Um, it was kind of, I call it like my aha moment, but mm-hmm. there was a point after my sexual assault happened. Um, my assault was in 2009 and then the trial lasted for about two years. And in 2011, when the trial came to an end, um, there was a news video that was aired about my case and the news anchors referred to me as the survivor who refused to be broken. They said 20 years of covering court trials. We've never seen a rape survivor who was this strong, this composed, this brave on the stand. And what people didn't realize is that behind the literal scenes is I was at the darkest point Mm -hmm. in my life, you know, mental health issues, suicidality, eating disorders. I was in a really, really toxic and abusive relationship Um, And 30 days after the sentencing came to an end and after that video aired, I ended up in a jail cell because of an alcohol related incident. And I remember calling mom and dad. They're like, you're not. No, we're not bailing you out. You know, you need to learn how to live with this stuff um, or you're literally going to kill yourself. I mean, I was going down a really bad path. And a few days later, I went before the judge. And this is kind of like my aha moment. Um, The judge knew who I was. And I always tell people she looked like Judge Judy just to set the scene. (laughs) Um, And she said, you're the survivor from that sexual assault case. And I said, yes, ma'am, I am. And she said, we're going to give you a second chance, but you need to learn to live with your pain and your trauma better. Um, And for me, that was kind of like an, oh, shit, Are, are, are we allowed to... Please do. Minorly curse. Okay, cool. Minorly curse. I don't know what that means. Okay, cool. I'm a major league cursor. Cool. Awesome. Perfect. I I got called up from the, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that was kind of like my oh shit moment. You know, she didn't say get past it, get over it. She said, learn to live with it. And so, you know, for many years I had shown up with this mask on of pretending to be strong and having my shit together, as some would say. And so that was kind of the moment in my life where, I just threw myself into the deep end and I'm like, this is messy, Brittany. I'm owning it. No more shame, no more hiding who I am. And that was kind of the the turning point in my life. Um, I threw myself into my experiences with a lot more grace and compassion. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of owned that out loud. Um, I, I, I love that you say, you know, owning it out loud or, you know, living your truth or your story out loud. There's a Brene Brown quote that I always go back to. And she says, uh, I love Brene Brown, by the way. Uh, So, but she says, you know, when you deny the story, it owns you. But when you share the story, you can write a brave new ending. And so for a while, I feel like I let my life own me, you know, Mm -hmm. and by sharing it out loud, it's allowed me to really take back that control. And so it's therapeutic for me. Whenever I'm going through hard stuff in life, I just share it. And I feel like the responses that I get, it shows me that I'm, I'm not alone. And there's a lot of other people who are dealing with the exact same stuff. We're just not talking about it. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. my long, long-winded answer. Well, thank you, and thank you for it. Uh, yeah. You also know that I uh, drink from the cup that is Brene Brown mm. uh, and I've made it no, no, have not pulled any punches and saying it is a goal of mine to meet her in five years. I have no oh. idea how I'm doing it, but I'm going to figure it out. Um, but 
<laughs> connect me, connect me. Connect me, anybody, are you, can you hear me? Uh, that is, uh, first of all, thank you for telling us the pieces of your story that you did uh, and and you, you shared so much there and we'll, we'll come back to a number of those parts. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so right now we're talking about motherhood and, mm-hmm. and the idea of sharing the complexities, the uh, insecurities, um, the wins, the everything of motherhood. That is hard in a world where mama drama, like mom shaming, mm-hmm. mom, mm-hmm. like it is, it is such a dark place. And I mean, you know, going through it with Tina and I, you know, she was on the what to do when you're expecting app or whatnot, right? And so you're, you're connected with all these mothers across the world that are giving birth, you know, ideally in the same month that you are. And, and, and you're on all these message boards and all these things uh, and what people are sharing and what people are saying and what people are whatevering, right? And, uh, and, and the judgment that comes out from these mm. some basically anonymous message boards, right? Like, it is it is something that does not happen nearly to the extent as it happens in the father community mm. um, and and for whatever reasons maybe we can talk about that in a minute too um, and your thoughts there but uh, in the midst of all of knowing that the world is a hot mess often directed at moms um, you have still had the courage to be like I'm talking right I'm, I'm yeah. talking because we got to talk how has that? felt for you is that is there a is there a, a fear that you kind of punch in the face every time that you post um or is it uh are you over that like you know what what goes through your brain sometimes in those moments you know i think that a lot of me sharing the decisions that we've made with noah our our little guy um you know there are some things that i don't share i kind of hint at but i don't, I don't share all the way but um I think a lot of it is just more so because the conversations aren't being had. Um, and I think as moms and as new parents in general, when we go into this whole process of becoming, becoming a parent and um, also the, the, the birth and pregnancy and then the first few years, we are relying on everyone else to show us the way because we've never done it before. And I think a lot of we're going into such an unknown and people, even though they're so well-intentioned, their opinion becomes fact. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm a big believer that there is no one right way to do it. It's about exploring the options when it comes to being a parent, exploring the options when it comes to pregnancy, when it comes to labor and delivery and Mm -hmm. um, just having the information and informing yourself so that you can make the right decision that's best for you and your family. Um, and so for me going into the whole process, I mean, you guys experienced this, we were in the middle of a pandemic, so I had nothing else to do besides sit behind a computer and (laughs) Google away all of the different, you know, facets to motherhood and parenting and pregnancy and labor and delivery. And, um, I learned so, so much and having that knowledge and that, I don't know, I guess you could say education just really empowered me as a mom. And then I was like, wait a second why did I never know this? You know, like if I didn't have time to sit back and Google because we're in a pandemic, I wouldn't have known these things, you know? Um, And so I just share just to let other people know like, Hey, there's, I don't know, just informing people, but never for, never for the, um, for the reason to, to shame people or tell them that's what they should do. All I do is just share our, our journey, whether it's, Hey, this is how we feed our kid. This is how we bathe our kid, you know, and everyone has an opinion. Like you're doing that wrong. You're doing this wrong. I'm like, (laughs) good Lord. I just, yeah, it's, it's a lot, but it's fun to share. And also it's kind of like a, like a time capsule. You know, I, um, I think a lot of people think that I'm so transparent about life and I share everything um, because I have, I have nothing better to do. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, my, my brother passed away when we were in high school and we never really took pictures of him. Mm-hmm. Um, we never took videos. And so that's why um, my first degree was actually in photojournalism. So I have a degree in photojournalism uh, because I believe in the power of, of visual storytelling. And so, you know, when my husband sees that I have 20,000 photos on my camera roll on my phone, he's like, you're crazy. And I said, I just, I, it's become important to me to just, um, I don't know, just capture moments. And I, I love sharing it. So yeah, yeah, that's another part of it. 
Yeah, for sure. It is cool. Yeah. Cause I didn't, I did not know. Uh, I did not know Brittany Piper, the photographer, mm-hmm. uh, right. It's because you had, by that point you had transitioned into being a speaker. Right. Um, and, uh, that's the, the photography is a love that you and I share mm-hmm. and it's really cool to be able to see your eye now. Yeah. Um, right. In the way that you capture your son or your family moments or other mm-hmm. aspects of life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. It's special to see. What well. I mean, but I've, I'm curious though, because, um, you know, like I said, every parenting journey is different, right? And there's no one, one right way to do it. So how have you, you and Tina dealt with, you know, navigating what's, what's best for your kiddo and making decisions and not, not taking on other people's opinions because <laughs> everyone has an opinion when it comes to how you raise your kid. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, what helps Brittany is that we're flawless. Um, and so, yes. you know, I mean, when flawless, I mean, you know, it's mean, just, just kind of, you know, I mean, that's so, number one. Let's yeah, just get I that mean, out of the you way. Know, uh, <laughs> no, it is, uh, <laughs> um, it is, it is fascinating. Cause you know, where do, what do you listen to? Who do you trust? Mm. You know, I think, uh, Tina and I, uh, you know, she never posted any of those things cause she didn't want to hear the backlash of it. She just kind of read about it and just was, you know, seeing if she was online or in line with, you know, what other women were experiencing in their pregnancies and stuff like that. Like, okay, mm-hmm. so-and-so said that, you know, they're having sciatica pain. That's great. Cause I'm having sciatica pain. I'm not mm-hmm. weird. Right. Yeah. Like some of those yeah. moments that, you know, that, like you said, there are so many things they don't tell you about. Right. Um, right. And, uh, and, and that are horrifying yes. um, and crazy that when, what women's bodies go through is fascinating. Mm. Um, and then also after, you know, what the woman's body is capable of, right. And like breast milk is this fascinating liquid, um, right. That I like, can like literally heal um, and, and stuff like that. And yeah, so it's, it, it's fascinating uh, to think about. And so I think there's a lot of that. Um, I think we tried not to go down the wormhole, of the internet, mm. um, but that's hard. Um, I think we, we were picky about the books that we read. We didn't just read every book. Yep. Um, instead, we read select books that had been recommended to us by people that we thought were good parents, mm-hmm. um, at least externally. And uh, <laughs> so I think some of those things were really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's interesting. In our, in our friend groups, we're in two opposite places. Tina is the first of her friends to have to really have a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm the last on my end. And so we had a bunch of people that we could call and just ask and be like, are we crazy? Are we this? And so those people help. I think also, uh, you know, we're, we're trust uh, and there's, there's a lot of opinions on this and whatnot, and I'm not going to really touch it with the 10 foot pole here. Um, but like we trust science. Um, mm-hmm. and so we believe a lot of, of, of what has been, uh, of what science is saying. And so we made decisions based on that as well. Right. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so I think some of those kinds of things, mm-hmm. um, and just ultimately also, it also comes back to the gut because, you know, we always say as new parents, we have no idea what we're doing, but yet we're doing it. Yes. So maybe we actually do know what we're doing. Right. Um, Right. And so, but like we were talking about just before, uh, before being uh, on air, you know, we're like, it's the little decisions that are annoying. It's not necessarily like, I think the baby needs to eat. I think the baby needs to sleep. Like we can figure that out, but it's like, okay, the temperature in the room is 66 <laughs> degrees. The wind's coming from the east. Are we going short sleeve or long sleeve? Um, right. And like, like those decisions, like that's where you, that's where parenting makes you think like you have no idea what you're doing. Right. But those are the decisions that don't matter. Your kid's going to wake up the next day and be fine, whether yep. you got short sleeve or long sleeve. But it's, it's fascinating the way the mind plays tricks on you, especially when it's fatigued. Well, and someone uh, explained this. I remember taking a, a, David and I took like a a course, like Mm -hmm. a 10 week course up until our, our labor. And I remember uh, the midwife, the instructor saying, so after the baby comes, you're going to be really, really anxious. The reason you're going to be so anxious is because you recognize and your nervous system recognizes that it is up to you to keep this baby alive. And even though you're not thinking about it, you are going to act like you're in a state of survival 24 seven. I was like, Oh my gosh, it's like we're in battle. You know, how do I protect the baby? Get that shirt, get that shirt. You know, like, yeah, everything becomes just this big kind of moment, even though it's not. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah for totally sure. get that. Yep. Uh, 
I'm wondering for you, you know, how have you, have you gotten any, uh, any pushback, any have, you know, have, have, have some of the, uh, the ugly mom opinions come for you? Um, and then have you had to deal with some of those kinds of things, uh, as, as a mom who is living out loud? You know, um, yes. Uh, I, I, think in the beginning, um, you know, when I was just a little bit more open about um, Noah's birth, just Mm -hmm. because the way that we decided to birth, we went through a birthing center, it was a natural birth, um, unmedicated birth. And so I was just learning so much about the process and sharing that with the world. And, um, you know, I think that if people have a different experience, and, and again, I always say, Um, this is what we chose. And I'm not telling you this is what you should choose, but we're going to do an unnatural medicated birth. And so I just shared so much about that process. And I think if anyone did it differently, they wanted me to know I did it differently and here's why. And I I think that's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. But sometimes people would kind of have like, instead of, hey, I've done this differently, it would be, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like I did it this way, which is different than you. Therefore, you're doing it wrong. And yeah. so I honestly just don't even um, I don't converse with those conversations. I don't participate because it's a lot of noise. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that, again, there's no one right way to do it. And so because I don't come from a shame mentality and I don't like giving into it, I kind of just mute it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of conversations we had with, um, my parents, for instance, Mm. I don't know if you all dealt with this, but my parents did things very differently from how we did it. But also when, when our parents were having kids, the world looked a little different, right? Yeah. Yeah, Medicine changed. And so whether it was talking about, and this is just being very transparent, whether it was talking about circumcising our son, mm-hmm. whether it was talking about the way that we did our labor, whether it was talking about, you know, the, the birthing center we chose to how we feed him. I mean, they're so well-intentioned and I think they want to give us guidance, but at the same time, it's also like, well, the world has changed and we've learned some things that we want to try. And so um, I was home in India a couple of months ago and my dad gave me a compliment and he oh. said, yeah, I know. <laughs> and he just said, you know, watching Noah eat the way that, that he eats is just really incredible. And he said, you know, we really doubted you, but babies can just really figure stuff out. We never knew that they could do things on their own. And he said, I'm, I just want you to know I'm, I'm really proud. And I was like, oh, my gosh, dad, just gave me a compliment. You know, so that honestly was kind of probably the hardest part for us was um parents, you know, kind of trying to guide their children into parenting, but also trying to give them boundaries of, listen, I know you're trying to help, but also, you know, we're going to take what we can from you, but at the same time, respect that this is what we also want to do. So that, that was probably the hardest part for us, but now it's all, now it's all gravy. Now we're good. <laughs> we we out here. Yeah. No yeah. one's taking over the world. It's fine. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, (laughs) that's amazing. Um, Brittany, you made, uh, some, uh, you made some, uh, some choices about what to do with, uh, and I would say that if this is something that you do not want to talk about, then you'd let me know. And we, we cut this out or we don't talk about it. But, um, but, uh, uh, what I would say is that you, Brittany, you made some choices about what to do with like uh, some things from the afterbirth and Noah's placenta and and things like that. Is that something Mm. that you're comfortable talking about? Because that's something I knew nothing about and that you taught me uh, a little bit about. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Can you you describe a little bit of kind of uh, of what happened and what some of those decisions were? And by the way, I don't know where you where this birthing center was, but it would basically look like what I picture every Texas spa would look like, right? It's like in a barn. There are like horses walking around over here, but then you go in and there's these gorgeous tubs and these bevy of beautiful maidens here to help you. Um, and it really was, it looked very serene. Um, it was. It was. But the, yes. also the, I know, uh, well, I know, but I don't know because I'm a man. The juxtaposition of that serenity with what your body was going through is also yes. fascinating. Yeah. Um, but afterwards, uh, you made some choices and I, I'd love, if you're willing to talk about it, I'd love to hear about them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we decided um, to go with placenta encapsulation. Um, and I think, 
and I, I might be kind of rusty on some of this knowledge just because now it seems like a decade ago. It was at least a like, pandemic ago. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> it was also just yesterday, but also it was a decade ago. I can't yeah, yeah, quite yeah. tell where we're at on the timeline. But um, so just doing some of the the research that we did and talking to some of the other moms, um, some of my, my other mommy friends, I guess you could put it. Um, they talked about the um, potential benefits of um, encapsulating your placenta. And I think that um, you probably are aware of this. Tina probably felt this, but our hormones go all over the place. <laughs> what Not just when we're pregnant, but also after pregnancy, you know? And so um, one of the things that the placenta does is it helps us to just balance out our hormones postpartum. Um, and in addition to that, um, you know, I know that a lot of moms can use it later on for like menopause, you know, to balance out the, the hormones. So we did the placenta encapsulation just to kind of prevent postpartum depression, just to prevent kind of that crash that happens of the, the oxytocin after the, the baby is born. Um, and we also got a tincture made. Okay. So a tincture is where they actually take a piece of the placenta and mm -hmm. they put it into alcohol. Um, and you, it's just like, you know, any kind of tincture oil that you put under your tongue, uh, mm -hmm. you let it sit for about six months and then it lasts for decades. Um, but it secretes again, a lot of the, you let um, it sit under your tongue for six months. Oh no, no, no. You, <laughs> like, that would probably, be, that, that would be, be delicious. Yeah. That's got oh, like, it. Oh, you haven't had, you took you a while to have good food. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Sure did. Oh, oh God. That would be awful. 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 No, you, so you let the placenta sit for six months in the alcohol. Got it. Okay. Um, so it secretes out a lot of the, um, I don't want to, I don't know if the word is chemicals or what that is, oh, but yeah. Uh, so I actually tried that for the first time, um, actually a month ago. Um, I tried the the tincture and I don't know if you've ever taken like CBD oil or certain oils under your tongue, but you let mm -hmm. it sit for a little bit and then you kind of feel the effects right away. And I was just in a really shitty mood and, <laughs> and I went and I was like, get all right, honey, I need it. <laughs> get me my brew, get me my, my witch's brew. And he, Yeah he helped me get it. He went, actually, he did go fetch it for me and I took it. And within about 30 minutes, I was like, I feel much more calm. Um, Incredible. so yeah, that just, um, that was more so for, for me, um, just to have, because I knew, and they, they, they tell you, you know, after the baby exits the womb, your oxytocin, it just, it drops. And so this is something that helps you to kind of elevate your hormones in postpartum. Um, yeah. I know, I know for some moms they've said, cause I asked a lot of moms, did it help you? And some were like, I think it did, but I don't know. And some swear by it and some are like, nope, not at all. So this is not medical advice, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it just, it was something I figured I'd, I'd try. I'm like, yeah, why, why not? Yeah. So next, uh, the next part of the interview, Brittany's going to sell us doTERRA <laughs> oils. So everybody hang on for that. Uh, no. <laughs> I do no, have my diffuser right you behind do, me. You going. Do. Yeah, I've yes. enjoyed the colors. It's changing. Yeah, uh, my ADHD appreciates. It. <laughs> um, the uh, uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, I just think it's it's uh, that's a conversation that not a lot of people have, and it was one that I was fascinated by um, because I had never heard of any of it, and you were the first person that even uh, brought light to it. And so um, I had never heard of it either. I had never heard of it until I until I started doing some you know digging and research. I'm like, what is this? Yeah. And then you can really go down the rabbit hole. You know, people take it really serious. Um, there's oh, like a, there's, there's candles, like a, there's, yeah, there's a placenta smoothie book. I mean, where people just yeah. put pieces of their placenta into smooth. I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, I can't do at, that. At some point it's legal cannibalism. Yes, probably. But I think the thing that was most fascinating to me is that when you, uh, which a lot of people bring this up, when you look at animals in the wild, they mm -hmm. all eat, all the mothers eat the placenta afterwards. Um, you know, and I, so I'm like, well, there's gotta be a reason for that. Why yeah. don't we give it a try? Yeah, so they're not just bored. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It, it doesn't look, you know, appetizing. So no, yeah. No, yeah. no, it does not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, and an unrelated point, the heavy metal band I was in in high school was named encapsulated placenta. Uh, so <laughs> Wait, are you being serious? Absolutely not. Okay. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't put anything past you. That's fair. James that's, fair. that's fair. Yeah. I need to preface <laughs> most things I say. Uh, 
Oh my gosh. That's hysterical. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we, uh, you're open and honest about uh, what's going on in motherhood and, and mm. how you're feeling, how you, how you and David are parenting, how Noah's mm. doing. And uh, as, uh, as much as you, as much as uh, I see, right now, um, I know there's obviously always more parts of the story. And I love that. Another thing that you are open and honest about that you've already been on our, in our conversation today is, is some of the trauma that you have been through. Yeah. Um, and trauma is uh, trauma is something that, it just, uh, we have to work on it, right? We know this. I know you are a firm believer in, uh, in, in mental health and, and counseling and, uh, and, and, and all sorts of holistic approaches to also, you know, improving your mental health. I believe you are a meditator, if I'm correct. I think you do yoga as well. Yes. Mm, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, and uh, right, obviously, we got the oils burning behind you. We out here. Um, <laughs> and so we're hitting them on all fronts. Uh, and it is, uh, it is, it's awesome. Uh, but I want to talk to you a little bit about trauma. Uh, and, 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 and trauma can come in all shapes or form. Um, and you've been open, honest about some of your trauma uh, already on this. And, but Trauma is uh, something that we can carry. I've been told that we can like carry it in our bodies. Yep. Uh, is that is that true? Like when I hear when I think about trauma and maybe trauma that I've been through, I think I just carry it in my head. I don't ever think I really carry it anywhere else. And when I heard that people carry trauma in other places of their body, I didn't really understand what that meant. So mm-hmm. maybe I'm naive, uh, or maybe I just not doomed my body, or maybe both. But I'd be curious to hear. Uh, what you would say to that, you know, where, where do people carry trauma? How do people carry trauma? Yeah. Woo. Well, I could talk about that for <clears throat> probably hours and it's kind of a layered answer, but um, we carry trauma, we store trauma, but we all do it in different ways. Um, and I think one of the, one of the things that you just said is even though it was just very kind of briefly mentioned, it's probably the most pre- profound thing when it comes to trauma. And that is that it comes in all different shapes and sizes And so I think when we hear the word trauma, it kind of scares people, you know, like, Ooh, you know, like that's a, that's a scary word. Let's not talk about it. But I always just say trauma is trauma. Pain is pain. We all experience it, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, whether it's, you know, um, psychological. And so, but there are different ways that, that we all store trauma. We carry it in the body and, um, we can go into the nervous system. We can, we can talk about that, but, um, I think that probably, the most important thing to know is that um, it does affect our nervous system. You know, Mm -hmm. we are all creatures of survival. We wake up every single day just wanting to survive and that's how we're kind of hardwired. And so our nervous Mm -hmm. system is always running in the background and it's running in tandem with our brain. Um, And what people don't know and what I've, I think has been so fascinating because the research on um, the nervous system and especially how it relates to trauma um, and stress in general, this research really just came out within the past few decades. And so it's, it's new, you know, and maybe that's why we're not talking about it so much. But what I think is really fascinating is that a lot of us think that the brain is in control and what's it's, it's actually opposite. The body is in control. So we have um, kind of this information highway that runs up and down our spine, and that's what connects our nervous system to our brain. It's it's the the vagus nerve. Um, but along that information highway are two different kinds of messages, right? If you see them going this way, like, hey, I'm going this way, you're going that way. So one of them is called affect messages or affect fibers. And those are the messages that go from your brain down to your body, okay? So they're going down. The other direction is effect fibers or effect messages. Those are the messages that are going from your body to your brain. And what people don't know is that out of those messages, 80% of the messages go from body to brain and only 20% go from brain to body. So our body is in control, working in the background on our behalf 80% of the time. That's why when we experience... um, you know, what we would call maybe acute trauma. An acute trauma is like a traumatic one-time event, mm-hmm. like someone held at gunpoint, you know, sexual assault, things like that. Um, whereas compound trauma are smaller cycles of abuse, cycles of trauma, systemic trauma that happens over time. But when someone especially experiences acute trauma, you know, their life is in danger, um, you know, when you're out in the woods and you see a bear, even though in your mind I'm thinking, I can pull out my bear spray 
your feet are already running before you can even make sense of what's going on. And so our body really is in control um, most of the time. And that's why when it comes to healing and and therapy, it has to be more than just cognitive and talk therapy. The body really has to be included. Um, And I'll give you one example just to show you how um, intricate and how amazing the body is and how we store trauma. So when we experience trauma, what a, a lot of stuff that happens, and this is the forensic neurobiology of trauma we were talking about earlier. Um, this is what I work with a lot of first responders, sex crimes detectives with, is when we experience trauma, there's a point in our fight, flight, or freeze, right? That's our survival response where most of us experience dissociation. And dissociation is where we become detached or dissociated from the front of the brain, which is the prefrontal cortex. A lot of people say this is the executive function. I just call it, that's the mom brain. Like, that's right. That's wrong. There's your logic. There's your reasoning. So that goes offline. Um, And what happens is it's overwhelmed with cortisol. The cortisol then overwhelms the hippocampus, which is on the side of the brain. That's where we store our memories. Mm -hmm. And so that's why when a lot of people experience like acute trauma or even compound trauma over time, they will black out. They won't remember a lot of the memories. They can't make sense of the memories. It comes back in sensory fragments over the years and flashbacks and triggers and flooding. Um, In other words, it's kind of the brain's beautiful way of protecting us from those traumatic memories that we don't want to relive or recall. Um, And so that happens in the hippocampus. And then the final place that the cortisol rests is the amygdala, which is the back of the brain. And that's the brain's survival center. Um, And so as the prefrontal cortex goes offline, the amygdala comes online and that becomes the new operating system. And so we start functioning from a place of survival. And unfortunately, a lot of us, because we we haven't talked about trauma, because we don't know how to process it, we stay stuck in those states of survival. Mm. And our body doesn't come back down to a state of safety. And it thinks, you know, and this is where chronic PTSD comes in, um, chronic trauma. This is where we can stay stuck in cycles of trauma for weeks, months, and even decades. A lot of my clients um, who are older, they're still stuck in that survival state from something that happened when they were children. Like I have a client that's 57 and she still experiences dissociation. And so, um, but what happened a few years ago, I was doing a healing retreat in California and we had a young woman on the retreat. She had experienced childhood sexual abuse when she was young. Um, The memories were stored away. And so it was something that she couldn't quite remember, but she knew that it happened because of the you know, a whole process that, that happened afterwards. Um, and as we were doing body work, um, I always, you know, these healing retreats, I would bring in a body work specialist where we would do stretch therapy, where we do trauma informed yoga. Um, we got into a really grounded state in her body where she felt really calm and really safe. Um, and as we were doing stretches, we did a stretch where you just kind of stretch your neck up like this. Mm-hmm. And as she did that, she had a flooding of some of the memories that she had never remembered. Mm. Um, and so that is that in one way is how our body really carries trauma. Um, you know, the actual memories and the fragments and it all came flooding back in. Um, and throughout that retreat, we were able to process a lot of those memory fragments and get her to a, a much more grounded place where she knew that this was in the past and it's not present day. Um, Again, I could talk about this for hours. So that's just one way that we store it, but it also affects our body's immune system, which I think is the biggest thing. Um, You know, we see higher rates of stress, of chronic health issues, of disease, of cancer, and all that really is, is just from inflammation. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's a, it's when we have a compromised immune system. And so, you know, the more stressed out we are, and the research shows this, the, the studies they've showed this, the more stressed out we are, the more traumatized we are, the more it affects our health outcomes later on in life, um, physically. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, this, this shit is so fascinating, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and thank you. And thank you for nerding out into the science with me. Yeah. Um, and I really appreciate that. I also mm-hmm. know that that's, you know, obviously your, uh, your, your sauce. <clears throat> um, and so, uh, that is, uh, it is so fascinating here. I had a friend of mine, uh, who actually had, had, had some childhood trauma that, 
that they had kind of like stored away and hadn't really thought about and then went on some uh, retreat with meditation and they were meeting mm. these Buddhist monks and, and they were doing yoga and just very similar to what you just described, it all came flooding back and now they're like dealing with it and re reliving it and, and working through it with, um, with various mental health experts and stuff like that. Yep. Um, and uh, it is, it's really fascinating to hear. And, uh, and you talked about something else that was powerful. And I know you help individuals do this in the retreats that you do. Um, but you help individuals talk about their trauma mm -hmm. um, and talk about how they're feeling it and whatnot. Now, talking about trauma is, uh, is, is something that we have to be mindful of, mm -hmm. um, right? It is, it is important to talk about trauma, but I think, and I think you would agree, it is more important to know when and how to talk about trauma than to just talk about trauma, right? right? There's this phrase called trauma dumping, yep. um, where we just literally, here's everything I'm going through, and Brene Brown talks about it, right? Vulnerability for the sake of vulnerability doesn't make sense. Right. Brene Brown also talks about, you know, if you're going to share something to an audience that you then want that or expect that audience to help you in your healing mm. of said thing, then you're not ready to share it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, she talks about, you know, scar sharing from your scars, not your wounds, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I agree with that mostly. Um, I think there is a time to, to bring people along in our journey, right. As you, we just talked about earlier with you and motherhood, yeah. I do with insecurities um, and some, some of those kinds of things as well. But I would like to hear, to hear your thoughts about, when do you share trauma? To whom do you share trauma? How do you like, if someone is going through something, Shrek taught us better out than in, uh, but there's a time and a place. And so what, is, what are your thoughts on that? Ooh, I have lots of thoughts. I have so many <laughs> All thoughts. Of thoughts. All of the thoughts. Where, where do I begin? Um, so I will give you kind of like a, just some examples and like a, a landscape of the, the, the clients that I work with. So I have a one-on-one -on -one, um, healing practice and a lot of the clients I work with, they have different forms of trauma, right? I think a lot of people come into the program and they're like, I've experienced this, this, and this. But as we get kind of further into this, this three month, 12 week program, what they start to realize is that there is the traumatic event itself or the cycles of trauma that happen. And then there's the aftermath. And in the aftermath of trauma, this is how people respond to their trauma when they share it with other people. And so um, that can be traumatic in itself. And so I always tell people that before you share your trauma with anyone, first of all, number one, you don't owe your story to anyone. You don't right. have to disclose it. You don't have to share it from a stage. You don't have to share it on social media. Um, no one, you, you, you owe it to no one. Um, but the thing that's most important is finding emotional safety with that person that you're sharing it with first. Um, that emotional safety is important. You have to feel safe with that person and feel confident that they will respond as an empathetic witness. Mm -hmm. um, empathy is different than sympathy. I always say empathy is where we say, I hear your experience. I acknowledge your experience. Your experience is valid. And uh, although I have not experienced it myself, I'm going to help you walk in it. I'm going to help you carry it. Whereas sympathy is, I hear your experience and I'm sorry that happened to you, but that's just life. <laughs> and it is what um, it is. Yeah, it is what it is. And people that don't know how to respond to stories, you know, tra traumatic events, traumatic stories, mm -hmm. um, you know, although we're well intentioned, we sometimes put our foot in our mouths. Oh, well, everything happens for a reason. Maybe you'll forgive them one day. Maybe there's a lesson in this. And that is not what any survivor of trauma wants to hear. And so, you know, being mindful of who you're sharing with, um, I think number one is important. Mm -hmm. um, I always say, too, that when it comes to, you know, if you're sharing for the hope of, of healing yourself, um, kind of like you just said, I think that vulnerability for the sake of vulnerability isn't it's it's not productive. Mm -hmm. Um that I call, um, I have the four P's of purposing your pain. And so I think that a lot of people share their story with the hope that they will touch someone else or that they can help someone else. And there's really a process to doing that. You have to, number one, 
of the four P's is learn how to walk with your own pain, learn how to be comfortable with your own story, learn how to love yourself, have grace and compassion for yourself um, rather than receive it from other people first. I think that's first and foremost, you know, learn how to walk with your pain. Number two, focus on the things that make you passion, passionate, focus on your passions and the things that bring you back to life, you know, the things that make you feel safe. Um, And then number three is then focus on the other people, right? So the people don't come until later. Um, And the reason for that is because you really have to have your own firm grounding in your trauma. You know, you can't rely on other people to fix you. Um, It really has to be on you. And then just another example that I have is, so for instance, in my 12-week program, um, the clients that I work with, we do not talk about the details of their trauma until week six. And Mm -hmm. I make that very clear. I make that very well known um, from the get-go. You know, we have, there are five phases in my program. um, And the first four weeks is the foundation phase. And the foundation Mm -hmm. phase is really important for them to, number one, find safety, connection, and trust with me. You know, I don't want them to just come into my program and blurt out and tell me about their trauma because that could harm them, right? Um, That could be terrifying for them. So what we want to do is really equip them with the tools, the practices where they feel safe sharing with me, where they feel like there's an emotional safety and connection, and that they have um, some of those grounding practices to bring them back to like a really calm place in their body. So that when we go into week six and we talk about their trauma, they have prepared for that battle, right? They've prepared for the marathon. They go in feeling confident, feeling safe. Um, I don't know if I'm making sense, but yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I think that there is power in sharing our story. I think that it can bring us together. It can make us feel less alone, but you really have to make sure that you're doing it in an an intentional way and a productive way and not Mm -hmm. in a way that harms you or harms others. Um, you know, not going into graphic details of your experiences. Um, and if you're going to do that, then to do it with someone who's a trained specialist, you know, not not your brother or sister or that acquaintance that you met a few weeks ago at a party, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. So no, hopefully that answered your does. question. Yeah. No, it really did. And, and yeah. then some. Thanks for sharing the four Ps, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is vulnerability is something that you and I are both passionate about and we, we see the importance of, uh, and not everybody is ready for vulnerability. Not everybody is ready to, to receive vulnerability or to share vulnerably. Mm -hmm. And that is okay. Right. That doesn't mean that they are in a bad place. That means doesn't mean they need to get their shit together. It doesn't mean that they are cold and dead inside, right? uh, right? None of those kinds of things, right? Um, There is a lot of value in talking. Um, And in general, I think we all need to talk more um, and speak more because when we're not sharing it, uh, we're bottling it up. And, you know, those those wonderful places that we have compartmentalized get Mm -hmm. full and they burst and they come out as, you know, maybe the, you know, your partner is in the wrong place at the wrong time to see the wrong thing. Right. Or a friend, all of a sudden you snap at them or or you decide to take. Uh, you know, all the way up to, you know, you decide that like every look at all this stuff I'm carrying. I'm a burden to everybody else. Right. Uh, I should, it would be easier if I just wasn't here anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so at some point in time, we gotta talk about it. Yeah. Um, and we have to own these bricks that we're carrying, um, in order to effectively, live a lighter life to live, uh, to, to get out of the base level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs of just safety and security, yep. right? Like just to be able to live a life that is more fulfilling where we're chasing things of meaning. Right. Um, and, uh, but it is, uh, it is so hard uh, to get to the point to be like, I, it takes a lot of courage to be like, I need to share this. I need to talk to somebody, right? Mm-hmm. We know this, especially uh, with men. Men aren't men aren't taught not to feel, mm-hmm. but men are taught to keep their emotions almost like a sound wave, right? Like kind of like keep it in between these two points. Don't get to get too high or too low. I want right. to get too hysterical or dramatic, right? Like just keep it in the pocket, my guy, mm-hmm. um, and you'll be fine. And they're also we're also taught not to uh, to be. Uh, external processors, right? Mm-hmm. Don't, don't present your problem, present your solution. Don't present your process, present your product, like those kinds of things. Um, and it, it's hurting men a lot. And that's very evident 
in the difference in suicide rates between uh, male identifying folks and female identifying folks. And Mm -hmm. uh, sharing it is important, but as you just articulated, it's not just, hey, Rando on the bus, buckle up, uh, right? Or, yeah. or hey, audience, mm-hmm. or hey, coworker, right? right. Um, it, because we also need to recognize that that trauma deserves love. Yes. And so we have to share it mm-hmm. with someone who is ready to receive the love that yeah. the trauma deserves. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and I think that's, that's a big thing for me when I'm thinking about sharing something is, you know, does this audience care about me? Are they with me? There are times where I, I share a lot of vulnerable things from the stage. And there's been a few moments where I'm like, y'all don't get this story today <laughs> by the way you're talking to me right now, or by the way, you're not listening or the way you're whatevering, like mm-hmm. y'all ain't going to get this deep story. I'm going to share this other random anecdote yeah. instead. Um, because I just, you know, you feel dumb. Like vulnerability hangovers are a real thing. Yes, they are. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, those are some of my thoughts on that. No, absolutely. And I, um, it's, I totally get what you're saying. And I, um, I like the uh, Einstein rule. It's a uh, 70% rule. It says that conversations are 70% body language and 30% the words that are coming out of our mouths. And so as a speaker, you know, sharing vulnerable, you, yeah, you totally get it. You can tell by their body language if they're with you or if they're not. And, um, I don't share a ton about my story from the stage. I share maybe about two minutes of my story, mm-hmm. Um, because I don't want to overwhelm people with, you know, my, my trauma, but, um, there are times where I can tell like, okay, they're not into this. And I feel it's interesting because I I feel myself kind of retreat back into my shell on the stage. And I allow myself in those vulnerable moments to really feel what I'm saying. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I, I tear up, you know, and, but when I see that their body language, that they're not with me, um, I kind of numb out. And those are the moments where I don't have to fight through tears. I'm just Mm -hmm. kind of saying it from a very numb place and it feels so inauthentic. And I I hate when that happens, but yeah, so much of it has to do with feeling safe with the people that you're with and, you know, um, the environment that you're in. Um, That's, that's, that's more than half the equation really. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, Rachel D'Alto, fellow uh, diner mm-hmm. guest here. Um, uh, when she talks about sharing, uh, she puts it very astutely where she says, you need to think about, am I sharing this for intention or attention? Yep. Um, and it's a big deal. Um, yep. And uh, so, yeah, when to share it, who's in the audience, are they ready to receive? There's a lot of things that we need to think about. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also important that we find the people, right? Just because this one person in front of you is not ready or you don't feel like they're the person that needs to hear it. You don't need to share it with them because you think you're guilty of something. And you need to relive your trauma or relive your choices. Like, no, that's, right. you don't need to put your body through anything more than it already has been through. Yeah. Um, but just because this isn't the right person doesn't mean you can't find the right person, right? Finding a therapist right. is very much like dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the most frustrating part of it. Um, but it is, but once you find the right individual, whether they're a holistic healer or whatever works for you, a Reiki master, mm-hmm. um, right. Or who, whatever, whatever your floats your boat. Yeah. Um, it's about finding the right thing for you um, because you deserve to live a lighter life. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Love that. Brittany, you know, some of the, uh, the trauma that you talked to us about going through is uh, you are a victim of rape. You talk a lot about sexual assault and here we are on the heels of sexual assault awareness month. Mm. um, And not that this is going to come out today. Um, but, but we are where we are. And so, um, but the thing is, uh, is that, uh, um, sexual assault is disappointingly prevalent in our society. Uh, and, and both men and women are victims, women way more likely to be victims. Mm -hmm. Uh, men also way less likely to share about it if they have been a victim. Right. Um, and so there's a mixture in there and we all know that no one wins in the comparison Olympics. So let's Mm -hmm. just say fuck sexual assault. Um, but the thing is, um, is that, um, most statistically, statistically, most of the sexual assaults that happen are um, are a male doing something to a female, right. a female identifying individual. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I do a lot of work with men. 
And I believe that men are a work in progress, but I see men doing work uh, and and putting in some more work, at least mm. more than what was happening 20 years ago, certainly more than what's happening 50 years ago. <laughs> Why they're doing the work, that may be something we could question, um, but at least the work is getting done. Right. Um, and uh, I don't think, I no longer think uh, that all men are doing it just as a checkbox. I think mm -hmm. some men are realizing that, no, oh, wait, shit needs to change. Yes. Um, and so I would be curious to hear some of your thoughts. I know you talk to a good amount of male audiences, multi-gender audiences. Um, I, I guess I don't know how to ask this in any, I'm just going to ask it in a direct way. And you can tell me if it's a bad question and I no. can hear that. But like, what can men be doing right now Mm. Uh, you know, on their own within their friend groups and things like that uh, to make sure that this is a conversation that's happening. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's a perfect way to um, <clears throat> ask the question. I, and I, I think we kind of touched on this a little bit before we, we started um, the live broadcast here, but um, you asked, you know, the audiences that you have, are they predominantly female identifying audiences, male, you know, what does that look like? And for me, I've noticed, I've been talking since 2011 about sexual assault, um, you know, for the most part to, to college students. And for the first five years, it was mainly female audiences. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Jackson Katz put it best. Um, he's a researcher on uh, masculinity, but he said that, you know, sexual violence and gender-based violence is not um, a women's issue. It's a men's issue. And so I think just men coming to the table and being willing um, to have an open ear, but an open heart to the conversation, I think is really important. Um, but over the past five years, I have noticed a drastic trend of men actively and willingly, right? Not just mandatory programs. They are willingly coming to the table and they're joining the conversation. Um, they're listening, they're giving input. And um, that for me, I think just that's kind of like the tangible way that I can measure that we are making progress. Yeah. I will say though, that when it comes to masculinity, you know, I've had schools reach out to me over the years just saying, Hey, can you do like a masculinity program? And I think I've said this to you before, when they ask me to come in and, and talk to men about how to be better men, I tell them no. Um, and I say, you know, I have a couple of people that I can direct you to. And so usually, um, you know, you or Tim um, come up, uh, you know, Tim, Tim Musso, you had him on here, yeah, Timmy yeah. Tim. And um, because as, as a woman, um, as a female, I don't feel like it's my job to tell men how to be better men. Um, just like I wouldn't, I would hope that a male would not come in and tell women how to be better women. Right. And so, because that's my, not my lived experience, I usually say, you know, let's have a male come in and take the reins on this. And so there are a lot of men who are actively leading these conversations, um, which I think is great. And one of the coolest things actually a couple of years ago, um, I just like to share this because this recently happened. I think it's the coolest thing ever. Um, a couple of years ago, someone from Colorado State fraternity brought me in. They had had some issues that they were dealing with on, within their chapter. So it was kind of like, we need to put out some fires. Let's have Brittany Piper come in and talk to our guys. And what was supposed to be in one hour, a one hour program with a 30 minute Q&A afterwards turned into a one hour program with a three hour breakout session. Ooh. And just being able to facilitate the ability for them to talk like they talked about things that you could tell that a lot of them have been holding in for a long time. You know, um, why are so many of us using hardcore drugs? Why are we not, why are, why do we not have the space for us to have personal conversations? Why did we not know that Tim's mom just recently died from cancer? You know, I mean, all of these really serious issues and it was kind of just like a support group for three hours. And I just sat back and I just let them do their thing. Um, they brought me in two years after that. And the guy, the, the student um, who really kind of led the charge and brought me in each year, um, he just sent me a message recently and told me that he's now becoming a sex crimes detective. Wow. And so, you know, I think it's, it's full circle, right? It starts with recognizing that we have an issue. 
right? There is a problem and we need to not just sit back and hope that it takes care of itself. We need to actively be part of the solution. Um, and so that's why I always say that when it comes to allyship, you know, there's survivors and allies in any way that, that you look at it. You know, we, we look at all the, um, the social justice issues that are going on in our world. And I think allyship is a big term that's come up lately, but allyship is more than just being an ally and showing up. It's about being an active ally, hmm. right? Um, really kind of taking the lead and being a part of the solution, not just supporting the solution. Um, and so I am really encouraged, to be honest, by just the movements that I've seen, you know, you and Tim talking about masculinity. Um, it was not a part of the conversation when I started sexual assault prevention programs back in 2011. It, it just really wasn't. It wasn't a, a, a big topic of discussion. And so um, I've seen a trend for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear, Britt. Uh, and I know that we are uh, seeing a trend is one thing. Uh, knowing that more conversations is happening is one thing. Uh, at some point in time, we're going to, uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and when women say that they feel safe on college campuses or in whatever houses or, uh, you know, walking around and uh, and things like that, I think is is really important in men. Uh, there are so many things that 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 men do not have to think about mm -hmm. when they leave the house. Yeah. Um, and that is what privilege is. Privilege is the ability to not have to think about something. Yeah. Right. That's really the, one of the biggest pieces of privilege that uh, is a, an easy way to end that argument pretty quickly. When people mm -hmm. are like, I don't have privilege. Like, oh yeah, have you ever had to think about this? No. Yeah. Then you have privilege. Yeah. Right. And yeah. privilege comes in all shape or forms. Again, no one wins in the privilege Olympics either. Mm -hmm. um, and so we don't need to compare different people's privileges, but uh, the, the situation is still dire. The conversation yeah needs to continue to happen. There was still tons of work that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and I also recognize that, you know, there's also been an uptick in numbers because fortunately we're talking about things more. And mm -hmm. so more people are coming out and having conversations and that is important. Yes. Uh, and it just, it's, it's something that could be swallowed easily swallowed up in shame mm -hmm. um and frequently is for a long time yeah. uh but the conversations are coming out which comes back to the work that you do now uh, with trauma uh and uh, cannot thank you enough Brittany Piper uh for being uh just just a beacon uh, for being a uh, a safe place for people to share um and to learn and to grow um and thank you for what you've taught me and and here in the diner today my friend of course thanks for having me hell yeah thank you so much for coming through all right y'all that was my friend Brittany Piper she was an incredible human being I hope you learned something today I know I did uh, and I'm super excited that she joined me in the diner I can't wait to kick it with you again next week when the episode drops y'all until then make sure you hit me up on diner talks with James at Instagram um, or if you go to dinertalks.com you can listen to all the other episodes or wherever you listen to them as always if you could leave a review somewhere that would be really specially are. I'm trying to make this thing grow. I got some cool dreams for this. Um, but in the meantime, y'all keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, <laughs> come on now, you're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.